Welcome. You're listening to RUF at the University of Oklahoma. My pleasure to be able to, to serve you. Uh, it's my fifth year in RUF. This is our 15th year on campus here at the University of Oklahoma. A great place, a wonderful university. Those of you who are freshmen are just getting started. You're just getting a taste of how awesome uh, this is going to be for you. And we hope to be able to serve you all these years. So what we do at RUF is we go through books of the Bible and just give you a snapshot of what Christ talks about, what Jesus talks about, what he claims about himself. And, and, and so we want you to be here whether you're convinced or unconvinced, whether you want to grow in your relationship, whether you're sort of cynical and don't really understand uh, you have a lot of questions. We want you. Know, we welcome all of that, all comers, to hear from Jesus. And so, what we believe about Jesus actually matters. It really is going to matter everything about you and your life. Um, I believe theology or the study of God matters immensely. Now, that said, um, Jesus believes it matters a lot too. And so, when he wanted to explain what who God is and who we are, he told stories. And so this semester, our, our whole semester, we're going to look at stories that Jesus told, parables, big ideas, and small little stories. Jesus makes up these stories on occasion to teach. And so this story is probably the most famous of all of Jesus' stories. Can you guys hear me all good in the back? Okay, perfect. Probably the, one of the most famous ones he ever told uh, called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, Rembrandt, who is a famous author, uh, not author, artist, he created a painting called Return of the Prodigal Son, a painting based on this story that we're about to read. And one art historian, Kenneth Clark, uh, he calls it a picture which, if you've seen the original, you might call it the greatest picture ever painted. Picture of of this scene that we're going to read here. So, that said, I want you, as you hear the story, think about in your mind, in your imagination, how would you paint the faces of the participants in the story? Three people in particular, the father, the elder brother, and the younger brother. Okay, the elder brother, and the younger brother, and the father. Those three characters. As you're thinking through it, how would you paint the faces? So we're going to read 1 through 3 of Luke 15 tonight uh, as our first story, the greatest story, or the, the most famous story Jesus told, to get the context, and then 11 through 32 is where he told the parable of the story. So follow with me in the Word of God, and we'll get through it. It should be on the screen. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he said... Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And then he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, 
how many of my father's hired servants actually have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to, my, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So into the reading of God's word. Uh, may, uh, may he add his blessing to it and write its eternal truths on our hearts tonight. Now, as we are here, this is your first day of classes. How many times have you today asked, answered the question or asked the question, so what's your major? <laughs> I mean, millions probably. Where are you from, right? Uh, what is your name? These distinguish your name, your major, you know, where you're from, these things sort of define you. They give you an identity, right? You have, you, you, when you, you show your ID card. We lo- I would say we all long for identity. We long to classify ourselves and others. And what Jesus is doing in this parable is actually blowing everything up we, we, we know about how we identify ourselves with God and turning it on its head. Everything about that. Uh, we like tidy categories for our identities. We, some of us, some of you would call yourself single. Some of you should call yourself dating. Some of you might be married. Um, these, or these sort of things, like the, these clear identities, we want them. That is why one of the things that is appealing about you being an, um, a student at the University of Oklahoma is that you have a great sports tradition here. You have something you, every Saturday, can rally around and say, we won. And very few times you say we lost. Uh, but you had nothing to do with it. You are part, you, I don't think we have any football players in here, uh, but we might. Uh, but y- we don't have anything to do with it, but we identify with it. Now, we, when we win, we feel good. When we lose, we get infuriated by it. When the referees, you know, cost us the game, we get very upset. 
I'll never forget one time I'm watching Thanksgiving football. And, you know, when you're in that turkey coma and you, just, you don't want to talk to your family and the football's on, okay? And so I'm watching football and the Steelers are playing the Lions. Jerome Bettis, who was known as the bus at the time, this is, I mean, dating me. Uh, Jerome Bettis, who's now a Hall of Famer, uh, was, was calling the coin toss for overtime. Okay, the game had gone, and it was a tie, and in, in NFL rules at the time, when you go into overtime, the coin toss is so important. Why? Because it was sudden death. Okay, none of this, we just get the ball at the 25-yard line and go back and forth or something. But the very first team to score wins. And so the coin toss means if you toss it, or toss it up there, you call it right, you get the ball. And you have a very big advantage. Well, Jerome Bettis calls the, 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 uh, you can see it clearly. He calls tails. He says, tails. The referee says, he calls heads. And Jerome Bettis says, wait, I called tails. The, the, the coin falls, and it's tails. And the referee has misidentified what he called it. He called, he's like, he called heads. He called tails. Jerome, he says, the Lions football. Okay, and Jerome Bettis from the Steelers is infuriated that this guy has missed the call. And so what, what's going on here is like, it's like any time like a referee misses a foul, he misses something like that, you get this incredulous look, you, you, you throw stuff at the TV, you want, you're like, I wish we had instant replay. I wish we had instant replay. And that's exactly, when you look back at this parable, these guys are begging Jesus for instant replay. Because they're like, look, you are receiving sinners, Jesus. You're eating with sinners. You're not that kind of guy. You're not, you're not a bad guy like they are. And we, like, we, you, know, you should probably be spending time with us because we're kind of the good people in this land. So that is the context. They are scratching their heads and wondering what is going on. This is a true you know, WTF moment in their life. I mean, like, this is, I wouldn't say that in church. This is a Bible, a college Bible study. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, W, that is, they, they, I mean, they're good guys, and they're saying, what in the, what is Jesus doing? Okay, now, they had this, they, they're looking for instant replay. So, so we, we've got this, oh no moment, he's missing the point, he doesn't understand how good we are. So Jesus wasn't like going around saying, like, I'm just, I've got this great story in my, in my you know, bank of stories that I'm going to tell. He was looking at exactly what they were doing, and saying, this is a story they need to hear. Jesus' opponents were furious about him celebrating sinners, sharing table fellowship with sinners. He was offering the worst kinds of people in their society dignity, respect, and care, and he didn't appropriately for the culture shun those kind of people. And you see, that made everything awkward. Jesus was supposed to respond to their identity, which is that they are untouchable. He was to avoid them, but he didn't. And so Jesus recognized the outrage. He, they think he's blown the call. He told them the story. Okay? And, and so you, I mean, you and I all live in sort of this performance culture where we identify ourselves based on what we do and, and how we live. Um, some of you, uh, you, you didn't get into the, the school you wanted to. Maybe this is your second choice or your third choice, fourth choice. This isn't what, you, you didn't perform well enough to get into that elite school. Maybe, maybe you're, you're in the middle of rush right now, okay? For guys, that's happening like tonight. 
And, and, and so there are, th- there are doors that are not open to you because of performance or having a certain pedigree. These guys had their pedigree that Jesus was, was, was with, or their performance, and it was awful. Awful. And the good guys are seeing Jesus is with the wrong kinds of people. And so in this story, there are three characters that clearly represent the situation. Three players. The father represents the God whom Jesus is presenting to them. The younger brother, of course, is representing the sinners or the tax collectors, the people that are untouchable. No one wanted to be with a sinner and a tax collector. There's the bad guys. And the older brother is representing the Pharisees and the scribes. They're the good guys in the culture. And so what, what Jesus is saying here is to these people, the good guys, God's love looks like a terrible mistake. A terrible mistake. Divine godly love throws parties for prodigals and is ignoring faithful performance. And we all ought to be outraged by that. We all ought to look at ourselves and scratch our head and wonder why is Jesus neglecting these good people and spending time with all the bad people. And it's, it's, very, it's very real emotion when, when you feel like you've been unjustly treated. Like maybe some of you guys played sports when you are in high school and you were a third-string quarterback and if they would have just put you in, you would have won state. Okay, but they didn't, right? And they, the coach blew it. He put in the kid who he, he was friends with, that guy's dad or mom, and he put that guy in instead of you. And it drives you crazy because you're unjustly treated. Maybe when you actually tried to clean your room and your parents didn't notice it. And then when you come home, they treat, you're going to experience this freshman. They're, you're going to come home, they're going to treat you like a kid. And you're like, I've, been, I've changed so much in the last three months. The last three weeks. When you, go home for, when you go home for Labor Day, you're going to be a different person. You will. You actually will. You actually will have changed a little bit, but you're going to go home, and they're going to treat you like you're 17, 16. You're different. So you, you, you know how it is when people don't treat you fairly. You get outraged. When, when you, people don't acknowledge your hard work. You're going to, freshman, you're going to experience this. The upperclassmen tell you there are group projects that will kill you because people don't pull their weight. And it, uh-huh, can I get an amen? amen. Okay. Yeah, so, so there, I mean, and, and that, that is the kind of, those are the elder brothers who are infuriated by the lack of respect that they get for their hard work. See, we all ought to be able to identify with these people. How can Jesus eat with those kind of people, people who don't pull their weight? That's the question they're asking. You see that tension? Jesus is not the guy who should be hanging out with the slackers the people who don't clean up for themselves. He shouldn't be that guy. He should be with me. It's like he's the idiot boss who doesn't see your contributions. The idiot professor. That's what they think of him. He's the blind referee. It just, and it just keeps getting worse, this whole story. When he starts telling the story, it just gets worse. Okay? And he, and Jesus is saying, I'm really, God is really for throwing parties for these prodigals. And look at this younger brother guy in the, in the story. If you go back through there, He's an objectively terrible human being. Okay, He forsook his agricultural work. You know what happens when you do that? It's a big deal. He just left all of his responsibilities on the farm with a bag of money. And he takes, he takes a bag of money and he leaves all it behind. And things don't get done. And so like the elder brother has to pull more weight. He's already been so faithful. Now he has to do, 
his younger brother's job in addition so they can have crops and eat and take care of things. Like, it's unbelievable. He's abandoned that. He's just walked out with a bag of money. Secondly, he's abandoned caring for his father. And, and I don't I mean, like, that's a big deal, but that's actually an imprisonable offense according to the cultural law of the time. And, and you could be shamed publicly. Okay, so the, the elder brother had the double portion and more responsibility, but the younger brother certainly had a lot of responsibility too. And so he for, he's forsook all that and left him. Third, cultural attitudes towards these sinners is that, like we've seen, you should be shunned. The elder son in this story was doing exactly what people expected him to do. Okay, when, when Duggar gets caught on Ashley Madison, what, is it, what are we expected to do but to shame him on social media? That's what we do. We are not that different today. The media in our, in our lives, we shame people, and that was the same way you did it in the, in the olden days. Who could blame this elder brother? Who could blame the Pharisees? They live not in a culture of grace, but a culture of performance. And that's exactly where you and I live. You get that. It's no different today. Perhaps it's even worse. Uh, and so what's, what's more provocative is that this younger brother came home. Uh, he was not only irresponsible, shamed his family. Uh, he was in, in the culture he had committed crimes worthy of imprisonment. He was worthy of shame. He was also ceremonially unclean when he arrived home. If you were in that culture, you could not take care of pigs. Not even the Greco-Roman world, not even talking about the Bible, but the Greco-Roman world shunned anyone who took care of pigs. Okay, they were ceremonially unclean in the Old Testament. They were neither to be eaten or touched. They were cursed, according to the Talmud. And so, can you pick up on that analogy between the tax collectors and this younger brother who was feeding pigs? who had his mouth down, or his hands down, in the pig trough, picking up their pods, humbled and shamed, and here he is coming home, putting his lips on the defiled pods out of pig slop. Okay, that was fodder for animals, only for desperation for humans to eat, and the father is going to welcome that kind of guy home. Okay, his presence brings them shame. His presence brings them curse upon their home, and to welcome him is one thing, but then to throw a party for him is another thing. Like maybe we could just put him like in a, in a separate little house out in the back. That's actually what he's hoping for. He's hoping for maybe he'll let me be a servant, okay? But no, he says, we're going to bring him in. We're going to throw the biggest party we've ever had, and we're going to you know, kill the fattened calf. We're going to give him the clothes that he doesn't have. We're going to put shoes on him and a robe. We're going to really do it right. And so don't forget that, that it's, it's quite... It's a, not, so when, the, when this... The older brother comes to the party, okay, he's been working overtime, okay, he's been working, doing the, the work of the younger brother that the younger brother didn't do, he's working overtime, he comes in and he hears a party going on, a great party happening, and so he asks that servant, what's going on? It's actually this brother who you're working for and doing all his work, he's home and we've killed the fattened calf for him and there's a party going on there. So the, the, the older son, exactly like you, pulling all of your weight in a group project, is infuriated when this guy gets not just the same grade, but a better grade than you on the group project. That's what exactly is happening here. It is awful. Okay, here's the big performer, the elder brother, totally overlooked. Totally overlooked. And here's this younger brother, 
You're getting everything, okay? And it's infuriating. I, I mean, I know we, we all, like, many of you who've grown up in church have heard this before, and you're used to thinking about the elder brother as kind of like the fall guy in the story, but you've got to put yourself in his shoes. This is awful. And so if you're in school, like me, or I used to be in I mean, you're all here in school, like, I used to struggle with being, like, being the kid who wanted to do the exam, and, and not only do the exam, but do it in five minutes. Like, or, like I want to be the guy who, who did it, and then, like, made a production about it, like, going up to the front of the thing and laying my paper down so everybody could see that I, you, you've seen those guys, right? Okay, I was that kid, okay? I wanted to, and if I wasn't that kid, I wanted to be that kid. Why? Because I found my identity in performance. And I know, maybe it's not for you, it's not academics. Okay, maybe it's being funny, or being faster, or being strong. Like, there's something that you get this identity for, and it's all performance. Maybe it's being pretty. There's something about you that you have latched onto as your identity, and for this one, it is his work ethic. This elder brother. And so this, this parable really hit me when I looked at this verse about how I always want to be seen as somebody who's good at things, important, and we all do. This, this, is, a, this is about us. And so th- this father, it, it seemingly fails to acknowledge the elder brother. And so what does the elder brother do? He, spends all, he, he, he doesn't go into the party. And he makes, a, he makes his father into a fool. But what, it just gets worse, though, for this guy. Because when he hears the story of what happened, the father who he is shaming by not going in and celebrating with him, this father had ran to this younger son. And if you read commentaries, they're always like, man, that's really terrible for this older, for this older man. Because old, older men in that culture, it was shameful to show their legs. And so when he's running, he's got his robe thing on, and he's like running. You know, you know you've seen the you know, Ten Commandments in, in old, old school movies, Roman movies and stuff like that. Like these had these togas on, right? So he runs and he shows his legs. He's running towards him, and he makes a fool of himself, making a big deal about this sinner who's come home. And it also says it gets even worse. He kissed the prodigal son. He kissed him. The same lips that have been chewing on pig slop. He kisses him. The cursed son and shamed son. He kissed him. Okay. Now, what's what's really um, you know when I know some of you are no one's bored here tonight. Okay. No one's bored right now. We're getting to that point where it's getting dangerously close to being boredom, right? Okay, it's getting that, it's, it's like 748, okay, or 848. So we, we've got, okay, so no one's bored, but when, when I'm in church, sometimes I get bored, okay? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes my kids get bored, okay? Like I have four children, eight to two, that spread there, and eight, seven, five, and two. Yeah, and I see horrified looks, okay? So, like, yes, my wife is here, we have a minivan, and four children, and we'd roll into that church parking lot, and, and it's like, sometimes it's like an hour and a half service, two hours sometimes. Well, about 40 minutes into this, my kids are like dying to get out of there, and so they're crawling up into my lap one at a time. They're taking turns, really. So, okay, so Knox will jump in my lap, okay? And that's sweet. You know, he's eight years old. It's, I don't get to snuggle with my, my eight-year-old that much. My, my seven-year-old, he gets down, my seven-year-old gets in my lap, Owen. Grace, and then Lily, my baby, okay, so two. So one after another, they kind of get in my, in my you know, lap and sit on my lap, and, and they don't pay attention to the sermon. They don't pay attention to their surroundings, to their kids. So like I'm in my church clothes, and they've got like donuts on their face from, from breakfast, 
and they've got they're, they're, the soles of their shoes that have been you know have dirt all over them. They're getting all over my pants. And I'm like, I'm thinking dollar sums. Like, I'm gonna dry clean that now. That sucks. So I'm like, just like, like I love my kids. I love to snuggle with them, but they leave me a mess. And so I kind of swat them out of my lap, and I'm like, okay, okay, or just move their feet because I don't want to get dirt on me, you know? And so I'm absolutely the antithesis, of course, of the father in this story. The father in the story runs to this broke-down, shamed kid of his, and I, I would run to my kid probably too, but I'd be like, okay, just stand back. Okay, let me, let me clean you off first. Um, these, these elder brother and Pharisee types aren't able to comprehend how this could be true, that a father could love like that, an undeserving son, because their whole identity is in being deserving. And that's the way, that's why Jesus turns it all on, on, on everything on its head with us. You and your relationship with God is not about your performance or how well you've performed up until this point or how well you're going to perform in the future. That's never the case. The party for you, heaven for you, is not going to be about how well you have done ever. It's divine love. Divine love looks at you and says, I'm going to love him or her. I'm going to make him something. It's not looking at what you've done. It's not reacting to what you've done. It's looking at you and projecting out in the future and saying, this is who I'm going to make him to be or her to be. He wants to make you beautiful. And that's what love is. He, human love is reactive, but divine love is creative. God's love is creative. And that father sees that child, and he's going to create newness in him by throwing him in a party. He's not responding to the good already. He's, he's doing that. And that's exactly what the cross is about. Okay, The father took on all this humiliation in, in this story, but that's exactly what God on a cross is. Humiliated, embracing all of our sins, all of our pride, all of our hypocrisy, all of our performance and worship of it, all of our being enslaved to doing right so that others would think good about, about us, everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything about us which is tainted in sin. Uh, we say in RUF that we're about following Christ in faith and repentance. In all, guys, all of life is repentance. Everything. Everything about our life needs to be taken and sort of baptized under the cross. We've got to go to the cross in everything. See, this, this elder brother guy was very close to the father, but his heart was actually in a far country. His, his heart was, was just as lost as that younger brother's guy's heart, running off to the far land, running off. This elder brother was so close, but so far away. And so what we've got to do is we've got to internalize that. We've got to realize that aha moment where we're like, you know, everything in this world is reactive. Everything in this world, who, what fraternity I get in, what sorority I get into, what grades I get, who's going to love me. I mean, like, think about it. You can't just be a slob and get married, okay? You're going to have to, like, actually convince somebody that you're worthy, okay? Everyone th- is going to think, like, he's, he or she's kind of cute at least, okay? And, like, they've kind of got some good character qualities about them. There's something, like, you're going to have to prove, you're going to have to prove something to somebody even to get married love. But it's not so with God. Okay, it's not so with Him. God's Son is crucified for sinners. That's how bad we are. That's how outrageous His love is for us. 
We don't deserve the party that comes with it. We get, by faith, we get righteousness and he gets our sin. That's what happens. And so I want to go back to the, to the illustration we talked about earlier in the, in the begin, very beginning. Is that Rembrandt, not the author, the artist, painted this. Okay? And how would you paint it? How would you paint it? Would you paint? And what would, you, what would the father's face look like? What would the face of the prodigal look like? What would the face of the elder brother look like? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you what it looks like. It looks like the, the elder brother's face looks, this, looks like this, this guy. And the younger brother's face looks like this guy. And, 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 when, and, and if you can't say that, you've got no ability to change. That I'm the one that the Father has to run out to and invite back in continually because I've got to repent. I'm not debt-free. I'm not sin-free. I don't have any business being in His house because of what I've done. I'm not okay. And so creative love begins with putting your face on the bodies in this story, the bodies of the sons, and seeing that Father run towards you in His Son. That's what the Father's love is. It's sending His Son to save the world, that whosoever believes in Him might not perish but have everlasting life and live at home with Him forever. And so this is an invitation to come to that all, all semester and hear this, hear about a God like that, and to find your identity in something beyond what you do, but finding your identity in the love of God. And, and, I, and I believe that will transform everything about us. It's, it'll move you from being critical to joyful. It'll move you from being more aware of yourself, move you towards that. It'll move you to turn your world upside down, to seek joy in the redemption of others and not shame in them. It'll actually start to shape your attitude about other people to look like God the Father's attitude. And the world, like I said, celebrates the shaming of bad guys, but we're going to celebrate in RUF, by God's grace, the redemption of sinners. That's what we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate redemption, and that's going to mean willingness to get dirty, willingness to deal with, with our own sin and the sins of others. We're going to take that creative love he has for us and spill that out into the campus. And it's going to transform people. It does it every year, y'all. And it's going to happen this year. And it's going to happen through you meeting a God like that and being moved in your soul and your heart. It's an invitation to see that God and his great love for you. That Though you think he's blown it with everybody else, the real problem is with me. It's right here with me. He's, he, he, there's no reason I should be with him. There's absolutely no reason he should send Jesus for me. It doesn't make any sense. The real instant replay needs to be with me. And when we can say that, and we can look and say, okay, the cross is the only thing that makes sense. The only thing that's ever going to make sense. Then when I can see that, it's going to change my life. It's going to change your life. It's going to change us. Let's pray and we'll wrap it up. I'll take some questions. Let's, uh, Father in heaven, Help us to internalize just what you've taught us tonight in, in, in these words, in this, in this little story about two boys and a father.
and your consuming love for them, the way you want to take them and create and make them wonderful, make them to be comfortable in your love for them and not what other people think about them. Lord, draw us to you. Help us to put our faces into that story and see your face, see your majestic face, your scandalous love for us, how you look at us and see Jesus. And, and you don't see our sin because Jesus paid for it. And he, we get our right, His righteousness through faith. Lord, if we've heard that message, cause us to believe in it and cause us to live it and to show forth that kind of creative love towards this campus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We're at the... Um, Coming up? Awkward. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>